Hey everyone, we're going to be doing a couple of live shows coming up at the end of September and the beginning of October. We will be doing a live show with special guest Christopher DeMond at Bridgetown Swing, Saturday night after awards. Come join us for a lively discussion and questions from the audience. Then, the weekend after, we'll be at Boogie by the Bay for a special episode of our show, Naked Wine Coast Truth. That's right, the Naked Truth meets Wine Coast Swing. We'll sit down to chat with the amazing Brandy Guild and the incredible Robert Royston. And who knows what's going to happen when the four of us get together with a bottle of wine. Join us Sunday night of Boogie by the Bay at 8.30 p.m. in the Sand Pebble Room. We hope to see you at Bridgetown Swing and Boogie by the Bay. Welcome to The Naked Truth, where we'll talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Deborah, And I'm Eric. And today we want to talk about our dance community's culture. Culture can be hard to define and more difficult to understand. Edgar Schein, Professor Emeritus at the MIT Sloan School of Management, is a prominent theorist in organization development, best known for his model of organizational culture. Schein defines culture as a pattern of shared basic assumptions that the group learned as it solved its problems of external adaptation and internal integration that has worked well enough to be considered valid and, therefore, to be taught to new members as the correct way to perceive, think, and feel in relation to those problems. According to this definition, culture is a set of learned shared assumptions that is passed on to others in the group and that define the group's thoughts and feelings about things. Culture underlies our individual behaviors and our shared behaviors or norms and guides our decisions and actions as a group. In West Coast Swing, we have a diversity of people and subgroups around the world, but we also have certain characteristics we share. Well, we wanted to understand how our culture in West Coast Swing is defined, how it shapes our own individual and collective behaviors, and how it might be shaped and changed moving forward. To do that, we invited Dr. Jennifer Parlamis, Associate Professor at the University of San Francisco, to come speak with us about this topic. Dr. Parlamis's academic career has centered on pioneering social psychological research in the areas of negotiation, conflict resolution, communication, and organization dynamics. Specifically, Professor Parlamis studies the impact of technology on negotiation outcomes and the role of anger and incompetency emotions in negotiation and conflict contexts. In addition, she has written on ageism in organizations as well as negotiation pedagogy. Professor Parlamis employs the latest scholarly research to help students acquire skills and increase their awareness of effective interaction in business settings. And in addition to teaching and conducting research, Jen Parlamis enjoys traveling, playing tennis, hiking on Mount Tam here in the Bay Area, and spending time with her husband and three kids. She was also one of my favorite professors in grad school. Here's our conversation with Jen about culture and our West Coast Swing community. So culture of an organization has been characterized in a number of different ways. A lot of different authors um, uh, and researchers and theorists in the OD or organization behavior field has talked about it in many different ways. But ultimately, it's really like the essence of the of the organization. So it can be things that um, are kind of unspoken or um, not expressed, kind of like these underlying values and um, uh, let's say like intangibles of the organization. And um, oftentimes we see it uh, in leadership kind of expressed through different ways, like through your leadership and that sort of thing. Um, some people say it's like the soul of a person of an organization. So like the personality or soul of an organization, but it's made up of a number of different components. So, um, you, I think there's like three areas and like Edgar Schein, who's well known for his culture work talks about it, um, similarly. And he says there's three basic areas of culture. One is kind of the structures of, an organization, things that you see that are visible to the organization. Um, so that could be your uh, policies and procedures that are published online, those sorts of things. That could be like a structure that is a, an artifact of the uh, culture. Then you have, so it's what you see, what you espouse, kind of like those values or things that you say you're all about. So you could be all about um, helping others or social justice or whatever it is, and that is what you're all about, or innovation, okay? And th those are kind of these espoused values. And then the third element is kind of what you actually do, kind of those things that are underneath that may or may not link with what you say you do. So the visible, the expressed, 
and then the actual. That's the way I like to think of it. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different levers and feel free to jump in and stop me wherever you want me to, you know, uh, dive deeper. Um, but it can be expressed through all these different components. So it can be expressed through your values or your vision, mission, and strategy, the people, um, the space or the place, you know, kind of like your location and what that's like, uh, stories, the history, the, the, um, leadership, as I mentioned before, and then all of those practices, policies, and procedures. So those could be considered some, some of those like components or levers that can actually shift culture or help create it. Well, let me ask you, uh, so, so far we're talking in the sense of a formal organization, right? A company or something where there's a CEO or a president and there's formal structures for that organization. How might this model play out for an organization like our dance community, which is more normative, where people just kind of voluntarily come in? There's no formal structure. There are certain governing bodies that lay rules out for certain things. But generally speaking, you know, it's not a hierarchical or clearly structured organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I may even throw that back to you. So let's think of those three components that we talked about. So kind mm-hmm. of the, um, what, what structures there are, some, what's visible, what's um, espoused and then what's actual. So, so tell vis- me a little bit about, yeah, what, what you find of those three things and how that plays out. So visibly we do have the, you know, we have about, I don't know what, like maybe, you know, 50 or 40 events in the United States and then another hundred and something or total hundred and something throughout uh, the world of, uh, you know, swing dance um, events. And we do have like a, a code of conduct. Some events have code of conduct on how spectators and, and uh, competitors as well as professionals will get a separate um, code of conduct. I mean, and uh, some don't have that. And then visible, I mean, people have floor etiquette and dance etiquette and, you know, they know that they should have a wristband when they walk into an event. I mean, what else would you say, Eric, that would be, you know, visible? Written, visible? So mm-hmm. I feel like um, <clears throat> certain things that define our community now, at least at the global level, have a lot to do with things like the what we have is the World Swing Dance Council, which prescribes how contests should be run in order for people to earn points. And so I feel like when talking about structure, in many ways, that def- that is kind of a, a structure of our community that starts defining people's quote unquote level. Um, and that provides some bit of a structure that in my mind is similar to like an organizational structure where you might have like an individual contributor versus a manager versus like a director and a, and a C-level um, employee. Um, we kind of have that where we have certain professionals who make a living, who are the ones who are generally hired for these events, or at a local level, they're the ones who teach locally or DJ locally, um, run events locally. Um, and you have a bunch of people who in a competitive level, like vis- visibly, we have a certain structure um, in the competition world. Just generally speaking, we have differences in competency level, which again, to me is kind of parallel to your competence or rank within a formal organization. Um, we do have certain artifacts and rituals like Deborah was mentioning, you know, like wearing wristbands and, you know, the whole process of going to an event and checking in and going to workshops and watching competitions and putting on your bib number and dressing a certain way for competition or dressing a certain way for social dancing. Like we dress pretty casually for social dancing, but we'll often dress up more for competition. Um, so there's certain, I think, uh, visible things, you know, um, in terms of how we dress. I think there's the structural things in terms of skill level or your level of involvement within the community, even though there's no singular, you know, authority per se. Um, and I think we do have a lot of espoused values. We often talk about, you know, partnership. We talk about creativity. We talk about personal expression a lot. Um, we talk about uh, just valuing and re- respecting others. Just broadly, like when we're talking in the context of dance, how you have a partner and we need to listen to the partner and create space for the partner. 
Um, other things you would add to that, Deborah, in terms of the espoused values? Oh, I don't, you know, adopted values are, are really hard to, for me, pinpoint um, in the swing dance community because I feel like things keep changing consistently, hmm. uh, you know, due to who's running the event, wh- where the music is going, uh, you know, who's who's in power because we have a lot of politics uh, that come into account in, in, in our dance community, you know, unfortunately. And sometimes we have people running part of our community that don't have the best interest or values mm-hmm. for the community. It's more of a personal interest for them or a way for them to uh, have power in the community. Um, see, I see it from a different perspective because I am a top professional uh, in, the, in the dance community and, and I'm, I'm the justice seeker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't see anything different from what you've just mentioned, Eric, <clears throat> as far as adopted values are concerned. What, what I'm noticing from the conversation, too, a little bit is mm-hmm. kind of a distinction that's in the literature, too, o- around culture and climate. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it sounds like some of what you're describing is if certain people are are, are um, running an event, for example, they have specific way or style or approach that might be different and I would, I would probably Correct. say that's more akin to the climate of, let's say, a specific department in an organization that's more formally structured, right, um, or a unit, whereas there is still an overarching culture of the entire body or organization that is enduring, um, whereas the climate can shift from person to person or event to event. Does that, does that ring true for you guys? That does make sense. Yes. I would say, yeah, that that definitely does make sense. I mean, like I, like Eric had said before, we have that World Swing Dance um, Council, and and not every event um, is sanctioned by the World Swing Dance Council because World Swing Dance Council was officially officially adopted and made so that um, it can track points. And a lot of events have decided that they don't want to track points; they want to change um, the climate or the culture of how the dance is looked at because too many people were chasing points and losing sight of why we do this dance. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it sounds like then you were, you had this, maybe this underlying value <clears throat> um, that's part of the culture, which is understand the importance of the dance, not the points. Mm-hmm. Right. Or something else that you could probably say more eloquently than that. But there's probably some value that you were then trying to create a structure that could help support the value. And that would then support the culture. That's, I think, the hope. I don't think we've right. hit upon that structure. Um, so I think looking at something like the World Swing Dance Council, we have two sort of primary organizations in the swing dance world. We have the World Swing Dance Council, which again, tracks these points of a certain type of competition mm-hmm. called the Jack and Jail, where people enter as individuals. So it helps them track their individual progress through these different tiers of competition. And then we have an organization called NASD, North American, no, National Na- Association National. of Swing Dance Events, which tracks <laughs> uh, competitors who compete in routines. And both of these organizations have tried to make sort of order out of chaos, right? Like, um, because there were issues with competitions and fairness and all of that. And so these are organizations started to help create some structure, um, kind of like when we talk about organizational growth, right? Like the, the community hit a certain size where it started to need to create policies and procedures to create a little more order and understanding and structure. And, uh, for better or worse, these kinds of structures have taken on a life of their own and driven our culture. So the yeah, World Swing Dance Council in particular has uh, had pros and cons, the pro being there's a structure and a system. And with clarity of a system, more people entered that system because they could understand, here's my path forward um, and the sense of progress that they got from working the system. Um, but as Deborah mentioned, that drove a lot of people to sort of work the system and get focused on success within the system. Um, and <clears throat> I think there in the last couple of years, like Deborah said, there have been some event directors or people who have tried to counteract this issue by coming up with events that don't award points 
um, or that return to a focus on learning and studying and dancing. Um, well, and so well, it, me, it's well, been an interesting cultural shift, but I don't think we've quite, there is no like structure to counteract the World Swing Dance Council. Right. Because I think what I was trying to get at is I, I, I think some events have gone away from the point system because it cultivates after a fashion, like bad behavior, like it makes people, um, you know, so, so what division are you in? Oh, I'm in all stars. Oh, well then I can't dance with you. It just be, you know, like ego gets involved and then people become mean and nasty. And they're, they're, because we're a part of a community and community is all about, as far as I'm concerned, um, helping people and bringing people up and taking care of one another. And, and we've gotten to a point where it's like every man for themselves. And I feel that our, the World Swing Dance Council has created a culture of that type of mentality. Does that make sense? There's also, I would add to that, in terms of the personal interest that you mentioned, Deborah, mm-hmm. uh, whereas in a formal organization, and granted, within a formal organization, you can have competition for resources, right, where business units are competing for budgeting, and, and um, I've been in organizations where that happens. Um, within our swing dance world, you have event directors who have financial interests, right? They're, right. Even though it's not a very profitable business, they will still try to make money off of that. You have um, professionals like Deborah who need to make a living um, for themselves individually. So there's financial interest there. Uh, there are even um, judges and DJs who get paid. Um, and so there's financial interest there. And you have things like the World Swing Dance Council, which does charge money for its membership. It's a membership-based organization. Um, and they have a financial interest as well. And so like I said, there's no one given authority. Right. There are many recognized authorities who often have competing interests. And that can be hard to both define the culture as well as shape it or move it in a given direction. So we may have certain behavior that's seen as undesirable, but it's also those same people who are who have the power who are driving our community in many ways. So we have this duality that we are constantly grappling with. Yeah. And it sounds also that it's very organic and it's like this, this collection of different communities coming together to one big community, but very organic and shifting kind of moment to moment almost. Yes. Which is also reflective of our dance, which is very adaptive to (laughs) the music. Um, Like West Coast Swing has evolved to whatever music was kind of popular at the time. So our dance is not only rapidly evolving, but so is the community. And and as I, I said earlier, the community has really grown in the last, you know, I would say 10 years, uh, particularly with the advent of YouTube, but also some of our professionals going abroad, um, the dance has exploded, which is great. Like we all love having more dancers and more places to dance and cities around the world that are dancing, uh, more events. It's amazing. Um, But that has also, I think, had a huge impact on the culture and how we understand ourselves and what we're about. Because a lot of that growth happened uh, because of competitive events. So internationally, I would say, and Deborah, you can disagree with me, but I, my sense is that internationally competition is a bigger focal point than it has been historically here in the United States. Oh, I States. don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. I, um, I feel like the competition's big everywhere to me. It does. No, I don't it is, feel yeah. like, yeah, I don't feel like it's more, you know, it's much more prevalent in, in, in Europe than it is the United States. Now I feel like we're on equal ground because a lot of Europeans come to the United States to compete. Right. So I think we're on the same uh, level playing ground when it comes uh, to that. I, I think we just, you know, what, what I'm curious about is that we, we have a culture, like our culture is very affected by the climate of what's going on in the world. Mm. Does that make sense, Jen? Yeah. So when people are angry about politics or people are angry about what's going on in the world and then it, it trickle like, um, you know, uh, equality and all those things, it starts to trickle into the community and we, and we end up having, you know, angst and people fighting and arguing and then it goes on Facebook and there's, you know, so many people, you know, everybody wants to be right. And it's so hard to, to navigate dance in general. And now we have to navigate dance by informing people of what our culture actually is, but hold on, wait a minute. Our culture is consistently changing depending on what's going on in the world. It's a lot. Yeah, and you are not alone in feeling that with the external environment because 
uh, Warner Burke, actually, uh, Eric, you're probably familiar with him. Um, he has a model called the Burke Litwin model that talks about one of the primary Im uh, kind of um, factors that impact organizational culture is the external uh, mm -hmm. environment. So we, it cannot be ignored. So external environments, like on the top of everything else, where you like have mission and values of an organization, you might have leadership and you have org culture and all of those things kind of um, uh, in, impact each other. And then also the external environment is just, is just always going to be um, a factor in, in your culture of your organization. I think that's a really interesting point that you bring that up. And I don't think that, you know, it, it shouldn't be there. I just think that sometimes it, it trickles in too much because most people become part of, say, the dance community or a bowling community or a writing community to kind of be part of a community with new people, but also to escape the crazy of life. Right. <laughs> and right. now we're bringing the crazy into the, what we're trying to, you know, use yeah. as a safe space. Yeah. So it also sounds like the struggle that you guys are having potentially in the community is ha knowing that you're having a growth. It sounds like there's been growth in the community and knowing that there's there, that culture will happen whether or not you control it. Right. You could be very thoughtful, even in, in our organizations, like it has a life of its own. And I think you guys are feeling that. And I also get the sense from what you've described is that there are some things that you want to hold on to and maybe help shape and forming and stay consistent. Like I heard you say, Deborah, inclusion is important. Not to say like, I'm not going to dance with this person because they don't have enough points, but right. I want the opportunity to be more inclusive as a, as a community. And that seems mm -hmm. like a, a value. So that would be one of those things that you might want to espouse as your community's value, but it is not being played out in these smaller kind of events. Um, and also sometimes because of the structure that's in place with this point system. So it seems like that's, that's the tricky part about culture is that there could be these systems that were actually put in place to help with something, but they have these unintended consequences that are now right. eroding some aspects of the culture that you want to keep. Right. I just wanted to ask on that point, um, what in your experience or in the research around organizational culture has shown the kind of levers um, to play with around competing individual interests and organizational interests? Because I feel like when we talk about, for instance, people not wanting to dance with certain people, there's sometimes tensions around um, the 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 defined skill level but there's also tension just around like i want to dance with my friends versus not dancing with my friends and yet we're all in the same pool right and this is a voluntary thing that people do i can't force anybody to just dance with other people i have to incentivize them or coax them or reward them for being a good community member um, I guess this kind of plays to like organizational citizenship behaviors, right? Like the idea that you're a good citizen or member of our community. And I'm just curious, what are the different uh, elements that can be played with in balancing personal interests versus that of the, the greater whole? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there are a lot and it doesn't mean that pulling any one of those levers is actually going to immediately impact the culture, right? So yeah. So you kind of talk about incentive system, an incentive structure that could potentially lead to some changes that that impact the culture longer term. But it's not um, it's unclear because, there, as we said, there's unintended consequences. Uh, generally, what what it's thought is that you you if you have some sense of. Let's say your mission and values for the organization, and then those are clearly communicated and then they're modeled by a leader right? Um, then that could be very helpful um, in terms of shift, potentially shifting the culture. You can also have these practices. So you can have different types of systems or policies and those sorts of things. You can, you can try to implement a policy that would say you have to, at this particular event, you have to dance with three people that are at a different level than you, whatever it is. And that could mm -hmm. potentially impact it. Um, but it's not, it, it's, it, it's not a given 
but those are the sorts of things that can help. So you could, you could change the structure, you could change your management practice, you could change the, the, um, individual policy. Um, you could make sure that expectations are clear, those sorts of things. Um, one thing that Warner Burke talks about a lot is the fact that you can't change culture by trying to change the culture. Right. right? So, so you really need to think about these other smaller tweaks that you can do that could then lead to this broader, um, uh, to a broader shift in culture. So here's my thought process. Cause you just mentioned something that said, you know, in your, you know, you, you can have something that says within your event, uh, you know, you have to dance with three people, blah, blah, blah. And, and my problem is, is that, you know, don't you know to be kind to people? Why should I have to tell you that you should have to dance with three people that are not at your level? And and I also feel that putting that in writing will just make people more annoyed because they don't want to be told uh, what to do. So I, I make it a point in all of my classes when I'm teaching all over the world that at the end of my class, I thank everybody for coming uh, to support me. But I remind them, don't forget why you started doing this dance because it's fun. Right. And then I also explained to them, you know, we're, we're all very important. Be kind, you know, to everyone and be inclusive to everyone. And I feel if, if we do it, you know, if more people talk about it and they see the professionals talking about it, then then that's how we can start a process of changing that part of our culture. Would you agree or disagree? Absolutely. I think that's what's coming. You're coming from the kind of lever of leadership right there. So that would be the leadership lever, which is modeling the behavior that you want to see in the rest of the organization. Um, also espousing the values that you want to see in the rest of the organization. So that's definitely one of those, those things that you can do. You know, it occurs to me too, when you talk about, um, you know, establishing a policy, I am definitely somebody who kind of bristles at policy. I'm not a policy person, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, me too. I, I, I hate it. I hate someone telling me what to do, even if I agree with it. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, but one thing that, one thing that I do like to do is for people together, you know, to create some sort of, like, I think you were saying earlier, Eric, about the norms of the group. So one of the things that you can do more explicitly sometimes is oftentimes culture is, is not explicit. So it's happening, but we're not making it explicit. But if it's something that you want to make explicit, you have to talk about it. And you could say like, we want a community let's all talk about the type of community we want together. And then you get a group of people who might be leaders in the field and say, what type of community do we want? We want to be inclusive. We want to be this. Okay. So if we want all these different things, um, how do we make that happen? How do we enact that in our culture? And then you would go to the next level and then everybody kind of builds it together. And then obviously one of the things that Eric has studied in, in organization development is that that gets the buy-in that builds the motivation to then do that then again on their own somewhere else in smaller, you know, in smaller communities. So they might be, you know, having one group come together and then they do it again with another group and so on and so forth. Um, with that kind of strategy tends to be very useful. And how, how like, I, I, and I feel like we kind of do, have that strategy in the swing dance community because there are a lot of professionals who are on the same page who are trying to, you know, come from a positive place. But there are also a lot of, when I say professionals, I don't mean just dance instructors. I mean like event directors and DJs and, you know, because we're all pros in, in some aspect. And then there's a another group of, you know, in, in our culture that really aren't for uh, the positivity of the community, but more for self-serving purposes to give them notoriety. Um, or even and, just financial interests. Right. Or just fine. Exactly. Just financial, in financial interests. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes I feel like not just in the dance community, but in, in life that the bad takes over the good and that's what becomes the norm. Mm, interesting. Well, it, this kind of goes back to, Eric, your question about the difference between the individual versus the collective values or needs that, you know, and that's, again, another important aspect of what builds and shifts culture are some of those individual things that we don't have control over. Right. So you don't have control over all of those elements, and yet they will still impact your culture. Right. 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 So, um, 
So with the type of organization that you all have, which is which is organic and growing and shifting constantly with no with not a necessarily very clear leadership structure or or team or anything like that, um, it's it's almost. I'm thinking that that it will always be a challenge. Right. Great! I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And it, it's a challenge that also, I think, can offer an opportunity, which mm. is, have you, I wonder, with different elements, so even people who are looking just to make money or different types of people who are in it for different reasons, for competition or whatever it is, um, have you or, or what have you done already to bring those different elements together into some sort of conversation around culture. All right. Well, let me, let me say what, what, what I do. I notice when I, when I travel, cause not only do I travel for like competitions, I'll travel for workshop weekends. And usually when I travel to a city, um, there, there'll always be more than one event promoter in the area. And more often than not, those event promoters do not, um, work together or get along. And, and my first thing is to try and, you know, bring them all together and make them understand that things work much better in groups than they do when you try to separate. And and sometimes I get pushed back and sometimes I'm like, oh, no, we do want to do this. But that one, that person doesn't want to or that person doesn't want to. And they kind of pass the buck or pass the blame. And and as far as I'm concerned, if you're really interested in communi- community and you're really interested in people and you're really interested in culture, you check your ego at the door and you're like, OK, let's get this. Let's get this done. So I, I feel like I'm constantly, uh, it's like a broken record. I keep talking to all these communities and I'm like, you have to work together. You have to work together. You have to work together. And they just don't. And after a fashion, I'm just like, I'm kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't know how else I can, I can help you. Well, it sounds also that that can be pretty frustrating and think? It, yeah. And it uses <laughs> a lot of your energy. It sounds like. Yeah. 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 I think a big challenge is. Uh, well, two things. One, the idea that this is all volunteer. You know, I, just like you said before, I'm not a fan of policy. We've talked on the show before. I'm not a fan of mandatory fun. Um, like you yeah, will, you will play nice together. You will dance with each other, but you'll love it. And I'm, I just don't, I don't want to force people. And I think speaking as somebody who does organize a local community um, and having sp- spoken with other local community leaders, I feel like there is a reluctance to be too proactive because you don't want to upset people. You don't want to rub them the wrong way. You want everybody to want to be there and have fun. Um, And so there's this tension between like, this is a volunteer thing. We can't make them do anything. And yet at the same time, we're trying to enact some change, right? Be change agents in some way. The other thing is like Deborah was talking about at local communities, but even at a higher level, there will always be people who come into positions of authority or power, whether at the local level or nationally, there's so many ways to do it. Yeah. Who are just self-serving. Um, like they're just in it for, you know, financial gain, um, like Deborah said, notoriety and like being in a position of authority, getting other people to respect them. And, you know, I feel like what you're saying, Jen is, is very OD, right? It's like participate, uh, participatory, like let's be inclusive, let's be humanistic about it. And I do think that there are people where if we did reach out, it would actually make a difference, you know, in, in a really kind of OD way of, uh, listening to them, taking a dialogic approach and just opening up a conversation. But there are instances where that part's not going to go away. Like this is their business. This is how they make money. And so it's really hard uh, to show them that, like Deborah was saying, if we play together, we actually grow the pie. Like communities, local communities where promoters work together have bigger, more thriving communities. And the ones where they compete and separate everybody and hold on to their little Yep, uh, based on fear. Don't. And part of that is a culture thing because people go into a, a community where everybody's like locked off and fighting and people, you know, in a volunteer situation, why would you volunteer 
to participate in that when you can volunteer to participate in a place where everybody gets along, everybody loves to dance everywhere. And, and it's about, like Deborah said, putting ego aside and focusing on the dance. Um, I just think it's really hard to demonstrate to some of these people that that is possible when they aren't making a lot of money to begin with because dance is not very profitable. Right. And so you're dealing with the the scarcity mindset going into these things. Yeah, but you just said, Eric, that most people do it out of for a you know they volunteer to do this, and 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 just so Jen can understand, most of the people that do this, like in communities that run like um, swing dance, you know, swing dance events in local communities, not like big events, but like workshop weekends with a dance um, and stuff like that, they all have regular nine to five jobs, yeah. right, Eric? Most of most of us, I'm working on it. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and. So it's not their main source of income. And when when these volunteers, so to speak, first came into the community, their objective was to build community and recognizing that this wasn't a way for them to have their main source of income. And then I don't know what happens. Then then a switch. And it's like he go gets involved and then like, no, I have to keep, you know, the community um to myself and I, 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 I don't want, I don't want to share um, with anybody and I don't want to communicate with anybody. And then how I said earlier, you know, what's going on, like the climate of the world affects how people interact in this dance community. I mean, if you just go on Facebook, which I, by the way, I can't stand. And the only reason I have Facebook is because that's how I stay in contact with my dance community, the people, you know, where I travel, how I work and all those things. But I find Facebook to be toxic because all people do is argue and they just want to be right. They don't care about listening to one another and trying to find a solution. They just care about being right or owning their, their part of the pie. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would just add to that. Um, first of all, I do think, I hate to be cynical because usually I try not to do that, but, um, I do think some people do choose to run communities for the self-interest. Absolutely. Um, I think there are people who come in for the sole purpose. Um, I shouldn't say, I think, I know there are certain people who come in with the intention of becoming a community leader, um, for personal gain, either financial or reputation. Um, and so they're not volunteering out of the goodness of their hearts. They have that intention of being someone in this community and making money off of it. And honestly, I feel like in recent years, because our community has grown so much, it has opened up opportunities for more people to step into a professional position. Like there's more, more vacancies to get hired um, just because there's more events happening and you know, Deborah and her peers, there's like a limited number of people at that caliber. So they'll start filling these other vacancies. So there are people who get into this thinking, not, oh, I'm going to, I mean, I think we all start dancing for the joy of dance. But for some people early on, they're like, I'm going to be a pro, I'm going to be an event director, or whatever it is. So I do think some people have that intention right off the bat. For those who start as, um, you know, doing it out of the joy of their heart, my impression is, that you get attached to it. So you start getting dependent on whether it's the outside affirmation from others or the financial gain, and you don't have a lot of it. And so you try to hold on to it. And we've talked about this. We actually sat down with a psychiatrist um, to talk about kind of the psychological development of dancers and how, um, you know, a lot of times people actually lose confidence and depend on that external validation um, to keep them going. And I don't think that's all that different from sometimes what happens in a formal organization, right? Whereas people move up through the ranks, they, it's almost like you have more to lose and you have more power and you want to yield it more. And I think we have that sometimes in our, in our informal or, or normative organization. So you, you, you come up cause I'm curious, Eric, you come from more of the thinking that the, the, the more power you have, the more you have to lose, as opposed to the more power you have, the more positive change you can make? I don't think it's an either or, but I do think people who come into a position of power who act selfishly often act from a fear of losing power as opposed to the, the like growth mindset of I can do more for my community. Right. 
What do you think, Jen? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a really interesting point. Um, what's going through my head is if you have, if you both, the two of you, were the leaders of this community, let's say, um, what would be your ideal culture? But what values, I guess, um, would underlie this culture? What would be like the top five values that you would like to see? Uh, equality for men and women, respect uh, for one another, um, uh, respect for personal space. I mean, what about you, Eric? Um, so the community I run at Mission City Swing is my vision of a community uh, yeah. by design, by intention. And I hope Chen Li would be proud that I'm, I'm applying a lot of my organization development <laughs> learnings to creating this community. Um, we're now five and a half years old, but we do have a mission, vision, and values. Um, and those values that we have, uh, I'll read them out here, community, compassion, equality, inclusion, learning, fun, and safety and support. Um, and that last one being kind of a, a new effort that's happening a lot of dance communities around safety and consent. Um, but those are the values that we espouse that we try to live by and that we do try to create some structure around without again, creating mandatory fun. Um, but the way we design our programs or the way we teach our classes or the way we run our contests, like we try to make sure that everything we're doing does align with those actual values that we're aligning the, the actions with the words. Um, but for me, you know, it's, again, it's the same as a lot of what Deborah said, like we, community is important to us that we're all here to have fun together um, in a shared interest. What we do is partner dancing. It's not inherently a solo thing. It inherently requires other people. Um, and it's a social dance. So it's not that we come in with one partner and only dance with one partner. We inherently all night long dance with lots of different people. So we are dependent on other people for doing what we do. Um, compassion and equality and inclusion, I think, are part of you know, what Deborah said, like everybody who comes in is important. Everybody has something to offer, whether they're a great dancer or not. And we all started as not great dancers. Um, you know, anybody who moved up through the ranks started somewhere and it's important to recognize that and respect one another. Um, so I think there's a lot of alignment when we talk about this and honestly, you know, Deborah, I'm thinking of, you know, some event directors I know who probably would share our values Right. When we talk about it, I don't know that events, first of all, I don't know how many events have defined values for their events. I mean, you know, like you said, some have a code of conduct, right. um, but I don't know how many of them think about how those values trickle down into everything they do, you know, how they treat their professional staff that they hire, how they treat their competitors and attendees. I think some people, like we sat down with John Lindo, I think do a great job. You know, we sat down with Andy Bowman. I think Boogie does a great job of that. Um, it's not to say that there aren't those doing that. I just don't know how much intention and mindfulness there is for all of those events or all of those local communities. Well, so, so this is something, Jen, that's really important to me, like not just, you know, in, in running an event, but, but everything that we do in life is mindfulness and intention. And I talk about this and when I'm teaching and I often find that, um, it, it, it I don't know if it's, it's, if it's a conscious choice or it's just too hard for people to be mindful and aware. So, I, and, and I find that the larger the culture or the larger the community with more, um, say, tiers of um, people of positions of power, the less people are mindful, they become more self-serving. Is that just my imagination? Am I going crazy? Do I need to go into therapy? Like, tell me. Don't we all? Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think you are having the a very accurate experience of what happens when they're, when people aren't necessarily aligned. So Eric brings up the issue of alignment, right? Mm -hmm. It's much harder to get a larger group of people aligned around specific values or interests than it is to get a small group aligned, right? So you are feeling the 
the diversity of size, you know, and, and, or the, the fact that you have size bringing diversity of opinions and ideas. It also could be that as the size grows, um, there's, there becomes a scarcity of resources potentially. And when there's a scarcity of resources, people that tend to compete more, right? So that could be another thing you're experiencing. Um, it could also be this intentionality piece, which is, it's unclear how often people are intentional about setting down kind of these norms when they're running certain events. And therefore everyone's individual norm can, can come out and those could be very different. So I think there's a bunch of different things, but I think, I think what you're experiencing is, is definitely something other people experience in similar situations. That would be my, my thinking there. How do large companies transnational, big global companies, how do they manage culture? I mean, because you're dealing with the same factors we are, right? And I mean, I know some of them that don't manage very well, but um, it, it I mean, is a challenge. This is a huge, huge thing. Every organization, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the issue. This is, you know, if you have a large organization, you don't have one culture, by the way. Right. You yeah. have hundreds of subcultures. Mm-hmm. Even a small organization still has subcultures. So Eric, what you describe with your group is a subculture right. that you've created, right? So so large organizations might have, you know, you might what is what is Facebook's um kind of uh tagline is something like move fast and break things or something right. like that, right? So that might wait, stop. That's their tagline? I think something so. Like that. Yeah. Move fast and break things. I think it was. Like oh Google, my gosh. Well, no, Google used to be do no evil, but they changed that. So I guess now they're doing evil. <laughs> <laughs> but like that gives you a sense at least like a very quick, you know, impression of maybe where they want their culture to move. Nice. And so that could define some of the structures and different things and, and their values in the organization. But there's still going to be subcultures that are not necessarily going to ascribe to that um, value or, or, or culture. Um, so there's no easy answer, Eric, to what you're Mm -hmm. saying, and it will always be a moving target. Um, but one thing that I'm, that I'm curious to ask you guys is, you know, given, and I wrote down a whole bunch of these, um, values that you, that you described equality, respect, inclusion, um, compassion, Learning, fun, safety, consent, support, collaboration. I even added a couple too. You said social, but you didn't necessarily say that that was a value. Humility, I heard that from Deborah. Um, mindfulness and intention, right? You've got a lot of really powerful values there. Um, I'm wondering what you would think, knowing your community as well as you do and kind of the, the challenges and opportunities in that community, what would you think is the first next step if you want to all of those values and maybe even a couple more what would be the first next step to making that explicit or moving that ahead in some way that's different from what you've done in the past that's a loaded question these are all loaded questions wait a minute i thought we were interviewing her how did this happen (laughs) My coaching background comes out. That's right. How did you do that? You helping us help ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) The Jedi mind trick. Oh God! I mean, like like I said before, like I'm constantly talking in my in my classes about it, but that's you know that's not enough. And I, I I think people in the largest positions of power which are dance professionals and event directors must get on the same page because we have two different objectives. Our, our objective as dance professionals are to, is to make money, but to share knowledge. And an event director's um, objective for the most part is to make money and become large. Right. So I I think those two things have to come together first. And I often find that. Although there are there are some event directors who are so behind their professionals, which I think is fantastic, as they should be, because if their professionals are happy, then everyone else is happy because the professionals are the one that take care of, you know, kind of like a community because we're the instructors, we're the judges, 
so on and so forth. Um, but then there are also event directors who don't create a safe space for the professionals and put them in a position of like anxiety or um, fear um, and then can't uh, create or teach the, the, the way it needs or do their job the way it needs to be done. So I, I don't know um, the exact answer, but my answer would be that event directors and professionals have to come together because right now we have the World Swing Dance Council kind of trying to tell, and NASDI, kind of trying to tell how the culture should be. Eric, what do you think? I think that's right. I think uh, when I think of culture change, definitely there's a need for leadership. So, you know, Deborah, you espouse these values. Um, I know other teachers who do as well in their classes. I find that a lot of times our classes are focused on the dance and not the bigger culture beyond our dance <laughs> itself. Um, I would like to see the dance professionals come together and agree to consistently push that message. Like if I think of like Cotter's model of change, right? Like the leader needs to be consistently pushing a, 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 the same message over and over through any change process. Um, so many people come into our dance community at the local level. People mm -hmm. are rarely coming in to an event not knowing how to dance. And so I think it's really incumbent upon local community leaders to adopt a set of values that are, if not universally accepted by everyone, um, because again, as Jen said, there's going to be lots of subcultures, at least consistent or um, in alignment with the general values that we're talking about here. And I think it would be helpful to have resources for community leaders that they can see how to actually enact those values, not just say them, because saying them and doing them are two different things. And I think important to tell community leaders, you can enact these values and still run a successful business. They're, they're not in opposition. I think that's a dichotomy that uh, is driven by fear. Um, so I think there's that. And there's then so I think things. generally what you talked about, Deborah, that generally is what is lacking is people coming together. Um, I don't think we use social media effectively to come together and have these discussions. I mean, Correct. to fill you in, Jen, this is partly how this podcast got started, is that we wanted to stimulate more conversation about these kinds of topics um, and get people talking, not just listening to the show. We want people to turn to somebody else and talk about what they heard on the show, uh, whether mm -hmm. they agree with us or not. Um, and I do think that um, having event directors come in and, and come together or come together with professionals. You know, I just think having more conversation and hopefully leading to some agreements about some commonalities that we all share. You know, I think again, the more we come together to show how we're all in this together might take away some of the fear that drives people's decision-making around that scarcity idea. I totally agree with that. I love the two ideas that you came up with. So in my head, as, as Deborah, you were talking, I started to think of like a summit, like a, a summit for the, um, for the directors, the dance professionals and event directors. Mm -hmm. so, and I don't know how that would come together. You guys obviously would, but I was like, oh yeah, a really cool summit. That would be great. Mm. And then talk about, and then Eric, the way you were describing, like that's where we could come to some sort of alignment around values and, you know, alignment being one of those key levers. Um, and then you also talked about a resource, Eric, you talked about resources for coming, um, uh, for community leaders and then how to enact these things. Mm -hmm. when, once we come up with the values, also some resources for enactment. And then that critical piece too of, of you can be successful and make money. Right. We, we kind of have something like, it's not a summit, but, but, but we have like, World Swing Dance Council meetings where event directors who run events can go to and, you know, people that just, you know, travel the circuit um, can go to. But we need something more that's geared towards event directors and, and professionals, like professionals, not people that like call themselves professionals, but professionals who have been doing this for, for you know, many, many years, who travel the circuit, who are still um, relevant um, and, and are in it for it's not just their business, but they're in it for the good, 
you know, of, of the community. And, and I find that, you know, when I, when I try to, you know, cause I, like I said, you know, the, um, Myers Briggs, right? Yep. Well, I'm a big J. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a total J justice is part of my, and I get in trouble a lot because I want justice. Um, and I don't just want it for myself. I don't want people just to be fair to me. I want people to be fair to others. Yeah. And I, and I, and I look at all, you know, things like, I don't want to impose things on other people. I want to look at both sides of the thing and find, you know, what's the fairest way, you know, to do this. And, and, and more often than not, when I'm finding justice for friends or people or something, I end up standing there alone and I'm the one that gets the brunt of it. So it's hard as, uh, uh, and as and as a female as well, not only my top pro, but I'm a female with no dance, no male dance partner next to me backing me up. Mm-hmm. So I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place because I want things to change, and I I want things to change for all of us in a, in a good way. With I, there's no I don't have any self serving agenda. I don't I don't you know I'm not a head judge, I'm not part of the World Swing Dance Council. Um, I don't run a NASDAQ event. I don't run a World Swing Dance uh, Council uh, event. I, I'm just Deborah Seke, who just happens to have a large voice. You also, though, have an interest in making a living for yourself. Yeah, and guess right? what? I mean, that's, yeah, and but, that's but, important. I'm not saying that's like a bad thing. Right, but, but the piece of the matter is, is that I also have an interest that. in making a living for myself. But in the interim, because I stand up for things mm-hmm. and, I, and I stand up for justice and, and, and all those things, then I end up not getting hired. Right. At some events, because I because I won't take shit. Excuse my French. Right. Right. Well, what I'm getting from both listening to you talk and also Jen, your thought provoking questions, um, is that we really need like a theory of change of how how does our system currently work, and what are the levers for change? So you know, thinking about community leaders at the local level, um, professionals like yourself, Deborah, event directors. Um, there are certain key people who can help define our culture and set the way in which we indoctrinate new people, there new are. professionals. Um, and so I think we need to get people together to have a conversation about what are these levers and how can we go about creating that. Right. But I think the problem too, Eric, is that those key people, we have different agendas. Right. That's fine. Every stakeholder has their own agenda. You just need to get them together to talk about it. Mm. Anyway, I want to thank you, Jen, for uh, joining us today and sharing your wisdom and insights and some of the literature. I'll share some links about like Warren Burke and those kind of things with people so they can check it out in our links. What's the best way for people to reach you if they have any follow-up questions? Yeah, they can reach me at, at, um, at USF. So my email there is jparlamas at usfca.edu. Um, yeah, and I'm happy to chat with anybody who's interested. And it was great talking to you all. And it sounds like you, you have a vibrant community and such an exciting, um, just, just a really interesting and exciting group that um, I'm glad I was able to even chat a little bit about it. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you okay. so much. If you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us, you can post a comment on our website. You can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. Go ahead. I dare you. You can also email Deborah and me through our site at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter. Yes, people do subscribe to that, and you can too. Follow us on Instagram at thenakedtruthwcs. And yep, that's right. You can still follow us on Twitter. We're still there at Naked Truth WCS. You can also buy some of our swag through our online store. We have limited supplies of men's and women's shirts with our logo and other fun designs. Just go to the Naked Truth WCS.com forward slash store to buy yours today. We can ship it to you or we can get it to you at an upcoming event. Again, that's the Naked Truth WCS.com forward slash store. We will also be doing two live shows in the coming weeks. We'll be doing a live show with special guest Christopher Dumond at Bridgetown Swing Saturday night after awards. Come join us for a lively discussion and questions from the audience. Plus, the weekend after, we'll be at Boogie by the Bay for a very special episode, Naked Wine Coast Truth. That's right. That's the Naked Truth plus Wine Coast Swing. We'll sit down to chat with the amazing Brandy Guild and the incredible Robert Royston. And who knows what shenanigans will happen when the four of us get together with a bottle of wine. (laughs) 
Join us Sunday night of Boogie by the Bay at 8.30 p.m. in the Sand Pebble Room. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's The Naked Truth. That's why I'm glad you're moving to Minnesota because I feel like a little bit of snowflake has affected you a little bit, a little bit. Just, just <laughs> I a little softened bit. in California. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit snowflakey. So going back to Minnesota might get some, uh, you know. Isn't the what's that Baz Luhrmann song where he talks about like go to New York, but leave before you get too hard. Go to California, but leave before you get too soft. I don't know that song. To a sunscreen, wear sunscreen. Remember that song from the '90s? No. Oh, I'm gonna pull it up right now. By Baz Luhrmann. Oh, everybody's free to wear sunscreen. Live in New York City once, but leave before it makes you hard. Live in Northern California once, but leave before it makes you soft. This here on the video, it says the lyrics are taken from a famous essay written in 1997 by Mary Schmick, a columnist with the Chicago Tribune. Hmm. Okay. Um, but the song is by Baz Luhrmann. I don't know if he produced it. I don't I don't know the origins of it. But anyway. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 97. Wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Mm-hmm.